Hello and welcome to the Beef Edge podcast with me, Catherine Egan. You're listening to a special bonus episode recorded at this year's Beef Open Day in Chagas Grange with Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnell, answering farmer questions at the Beef Farm. Minister, I'm delighted to hear you recognising the importance of the Suckler Cow um, to our beef industry because Everybody here knows that um, our suckler cow is the foundation of our beef industry and the way we market our beef worldwide. Now, the level of funding you announced um, does leave us fallen very short of where we are already because it's 28 million short of the position we had between in the current cap and with our BPS. So it is critically important that you have it within your remit um, to support our sector um, to the tune of 300 euro per cow and use the funding that's available to you to do so. And also, um, we have huge challenges um, going forward and across our sector, it's important that we have a payment of 100 euro to support our beef rearden and cattle finishing systems as well in light of the challenges um, from climate and environment um, going forward. We know we have one of the best products worldwide and we need you to stand behind us full square in that space. So I leave it at that, Minister. Thanks. Yeah, th- thanks. Uh, thanks, Ben. And, and uh, I know you never miss an opportunity to, to, to advocate for the beef sector, and rightly so. Uh, so. So listen, in relation to, and I know, as you know, I, I toured the country as part of developing the Common Agricultural po- Policy Plan, uh, which is now, and we're hoping to hopefully have a, approval at European level in the next number of weeks on it. If things, if things progress well. Um, but as part of that, um, I've laid out the financial envelope for the next cap to bring us up to 2027. And within that, and obviously we fought hard, and the Taoiseach would have fought hard at European level in relation to Pillar 1 funding, in relation to trying to maintain that. There was a proposal on the table that that should be reduced. As a country, we were to the forefront in relation to pushing back on that and trying to maintain that. But there's no doubt that when you look at the European budget at, at, or the cap budget at European level, over the decades and over the years, it has been decreasing as a proportion of the overall European budget and also as a proportion as well of, the, of, of its real value to, far, to family farms. And that's been a challenge, um, but it's one that we're to the forefront of, of, of trying to push back on. But of course, the part that we do have control over is the national co-funding that we bring to the table um, in terms of Pillar 2. And working with my colleague, Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, I was very glad to be able to bring an additional 50% funding to the table in relation to Pillar 2 this time around, increasing it from what would have been 1.9 billion euro in the previous cap to 2.9 billion euro over this, over this period, this seven-year period from 20, what would have been 21 to 27. What that does is that means that all of those schemes which are part of Pillar 2, because of course Pillar 1 is primarily basic payment and the entitlement system, the schemes such as the beef schemes are in pillar two. Um, and that enabled me to put significant additional funding into schemes like the environmental scheme, the new acre scheme, but also really importantly as well to beef up the, 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 the beef scheme, the beef and suckler scheme that is in pillar two. So as I said in my contribution there, um, the new beef uh, uh, suckler scheme, which will come into play in January of this year, will deliver a payment on the first 10 cows of 150 euro um, and on the remainder of 120. And that compares to the outgoing DDGP, which, have, which would have delivered 90 euro on the first 10 and 80 euro on the remainder. So that's, uh, that is the anchor scheme. 
in the new CAP program. And it's a much more significant anchor scheme in terms of the payment and the underpinning of the beef sector. And that will kick off from January next year. Of course, alongside that, and as we go from budget to budget, I look to see where we can provide additional support, uh, depending on where the uh, national finances are and how much I can, I can secure for the, the sector. Um, we have, as a government and a Minister of Public Expenditure, has really stepped up to the mark in terms of supporting me over the last two budgets. As you know, in 2020, um, 2021, we secured a 12% increase in the national budget that year for agriculture and food. And that was so that we could continue all of the outgoing schemes that were there in the outgoing cap right throughout the transition period and indeed do additional schemes such as the REAP scheme, for example, uh, which started in 2020 last year and is running this year, and do those additional measures. Because traditionally, when you're going from one cap program to the next, you have gap years uh, in terms of schemes. And what that means is gaps in farmers' income where they don't have that income for the year. So we've managed to maintain that. So budget from budget now on, I will, I will try and anywhere I can, as I have done uh, during my time as minister, seek to improve in that. This year, in terms of the additional funding we brought to the table, um, assessing how best we could spend it, and again with the support of Minister McGrath, secured that 56 million euro fodder support scheme. And the reason I put it into that, in terms of the national funding, was to try and ensure that we have a, a sector and an agri-food sector and a farming sector that's as resilient as possible by encouraging and incentivizing everyone to grow as much fodder over the course of this year as possible to put ourselves in a good position for the winter and spring coming, given the challenges we're going to have internationally, given the challenges there in relation to uh, increased grain prices, indeed lack of certainty around supply for grain, um, unlike what we would have had in previous years, and also uh, to protect and take and move early to ensure we don't have the situation which we had three times in the last decade, which was a fodder crisis, where going back to just 2018, we were importing grass fodder from outside this country. And that won't be something we'll be in a position to do this year because it's not very likely to be available. If we don't grow it at home, we're unlikely to be able to find yeah. it abroad, and that's not a situation we want to be in. Okay. Thank you. Just maybe to put a structure on the questions, because you know I said two or three, but I can see several hands up. Uh, Flor, Derek, the gentleman at the back, you and know the fact that there's a younger person here. It's important that we leave the last question to the younger person in the, in the, uh, to ask the question. Flor, please. Yeah, well, I was heavy tinted about the sheep open day in Attenry on Saturday, on Saturday week, and here today uh, it's quite plain that the suckler cow or the yoke cannot survive without support or won't survive. I was, I've been involved in sucklers and sheep all my life, and what I know is since zero zero, the supports have been withdrawn from the sucklers. I think it was a major mistake that we didn't go for coupling in Pillar 1. And I will acknowledge what you said, Minister, and agree wholeheartedly with you. Anybody that can make the change at the moment from suckling or sheep into dairying has made that move. And the people that are left in the, in the suckling and the, and the sheep game are left there because of land type and location. And we, we need, you know, we cannot survive without support. And uh, in fairness to Tigers, they have put the figures out there. And it's quite clearly that we can't do it without serious supports and with the last 22 years the supports are moving away from the, the men that actually own the cow and the ore and that's been proven we're losing between 600 and 1,000 cows a week at the moment and nobody seems to be taking any notice of it. It's a major loss we're heading towards from a, 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 a circle had the 1.1 million down to 600,000 and you know I mean, these are also sole traders that are pumping, that it didn't being acknowledged, these are not companies these are individuals paying tax in good times into the economies in the peripheral areas of our own county, Donegal, Westcock and Kerry. I mean, by our very nature, we are farming in, the, in areas 
where, where there's very, other, very little other economic activity. I, and I think, and I mean, the government will have to do more to support them. Thanks, Minister. Thanks. And by the way, if you don't mind, in the interest of time, I will take two together. If you wouldn't mind, please, Derek, as well. Okay. Uh, thanks, Minister. Uh, I, I would recognise certainly what you have said in your presentation, but I think you have to realise that the current um, proposals on CAP will see a massive reduction in direct supports to the full-time dry stock farmers across the country. They are not going to be made up uh, by other payments that you've suggested. The second thing is they're not going to be addressed by the acre scheme as it seems to be targeted more to much lowerly stocked farmers. So in effect, what we're looking at is the dry stock sector, uh, particularly the commercial side of it, being written off. And it seems to be a policy of the department which would concern me seriously. Since 2012, we've seen the suckler herd reduced by more than 30%. The dairy herd has increased by 60%. The number of dairy farmers has also reduced in that period. We tend to be driving towards a factory-type scenario on the dairy side and a very extensive side on the suckler side. And that's not viable going forward in rural areas. And I would just finally like to say, Minister, that you, know, you have to realise that without direct support to a sector, family farms across the country, without a serious level of direct support, and part of it could have came from Pillar 1, that decision apparently has been made. Without, it will not survive, and we will stay reducing our herd by five or 600 cows a week. It's happening all over the country. They're the animals that produce the best quality that we try and market. But more importantly, if we look at climate change, they're by far the most carbon efficient. And we seem to be squeezing them out for some other agenda that I think has to be halted and has to be called. Thanks very much. Thanks, Derek. Yeah, th thanks, Derek, and thanks, Floor. So absolutely, Floor, first of all, in relation to the sheep and suckler sector, it's really important we provide the support for them. Um, that's why we, we increased, and in, in speaking to, touching on Derek's point afterwards about, or later, about the overall cap funding. Obviously, we have only a certain level of control over the funding that comes in Pillar 1 because it's a European competency and it has to get agreement across all countries. But we have a hell of a lot of control over what we deliver in terms of the co-financing in Pillar 2. And that's where we as a government have stepped up and increased that by 50%, a level of increase that had never been seen before in relation to Pillar 2. And that's so that we can do more on all of those schemes. So all of the schemes that were there in the outgoing cap have all been taken forward, developed and strengthened. Um, if we look at the suckler scheme, I've described how the, the, the anchor scheme there for sucklers will be paying 150 in the first 10 compared to 90 on the first 10 cows previously. If we look back to the 2016 cap, when that was first published and profiled, there wasn't any sheep scheme in that. Um, there is in this scheme now, or in this cap running from 23 to 27, an anchor scheme there in terms of the sheep welfare scheme. That's being increased from 10 euro to 12 euro. I know it's a small increase and certainly sheep farmers would have liked to do more. But even whenever you're getting a 50% increase in your overall budget, you still have to make choices. And this cap, the starting point, is a sheep scheme plugged in there with a 12 euro per year payment. And as that scheme would have evolved at the end of the last cap, that's the starting point now in this cap, that that scheme is, is there. And where it's possible to seek to strengthen that as we go along, certainly that would be a key. Um, sheep is a very key priority for me, and we'll do our best in that regard to support the sector. Um, to speak into Derek's point, second of all, listen, there's absolutely no agenda 
whatsoever, Derek, uh, to try and make farming any less um, uh, viable for any farmer. The whole objective of what I was doing, and in terms of putting together a cap plan, which I feel was balanced and which I discussed up and down the country and in, every, in, in March right across the country, was trying to reach a balance which actually supported farmers in the best way possible. As you know, um, particularly in Pillar 1, where you're dealing with a defined pot, whatever way that is carved up and, and distributed, it's, 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 going to, it's, it's going to have people who are more happy or less happy. Um, you can't please everyone with a defined pot. All you can do is try and be as fair and proportionate as you can be. One of the two or three of the key steps I took in relation to that was, first of all, the maximum payment in the outgoing cap was 150000 I brought that down to 60000 to try and ensure that it was, as, it was as fair a cap as possible. And also then brought in front loading on the first 30, 30 hectares. So if your average size farm, there was an additional €40 Euro, um, per hectare payment on the first, the first, uh, hectare, or the first 30 hectares up to your average farm size. And then in relation to convergence, the requirement on every member state was to do at least 85% convergence. You could go to 100%. The vast majority of European member states have gone to 100%, but I held that at what was the minimum because understanding again that that was something that was going to put an, have an impact on farms um, uh, and was a, was, a, was, a reason, was a reasonable balance. Where we had control and capacity to influence the funding which was pillar two, we did our maximum to we could to try and profile that, and that's where the extra billion, the billion euro, the 50% increase um, in, in funding comes from. In relation to the acre scheme, I wouldn't agree with you. I think that is something that there's measures in there which is an options for all farmers, and I would, I would urge all farmers to look at what measures in there could work for them um, and can enable them to contribute to the biodiversity, reversing the biodiversity decline that the last number of decades have seen, and indeed contribute to reducing emissions, and really importantly, to derive an income stream from that. I think there is options in there which, everyone, uh, which, which would suit all types of farmers. Thanks. Thanks, Minister. Uh, the gentleman there, and you can give her name, please, if you don't mind. Um, it's about um, the sustainable farming and uh, Tia Hennessy going to look after that. Now, their farms and they're in very poor shape. They're in the 18th century. Um, no facilities of any kind broke down. Now, they're sustainable. They keep them going, but they're, they're really burning themselves out. Is there any way that Tia Hennessy can look into that? Because it's very important. There's no safety on the farms. There's no... It, it's a deadly area. Now, they're... People that's left out are the aged ones. And there's a, a sustainable farm provided they're given the funds that's there. Now, the funds aren't big enough because it's 60% for a young fella, a 40, they could run a marathon every day. And then an old fella, they can only run 100 yards every day. He gets 40% grant. Can you change that, Minister? Because you're... Sorry, a predecessor of yours was able to give 70% to Donegal, Cavan, and Monan uh, in the story um, there back in the, in the, in the, in the early, early, early 20s, right? And everyone else got 60% grant. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Uh, 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 Paul, you can be down to Deborah Keller, please, and we'll take two together, please. And then we're down to the last speaker. Thanks very much, Paul. Just to say, um, Dermot Keller, National President, I was Captain Chief Hammers. 
Um, I suppose the first thing is to say, to thank Frank Mamara and um, the Tagus group for them, this thing here today. And they did a lot of information on the beef and soccer cows and things, but <clears throat> to be honest about it, it's very, very sad to go into a ring now and see a farmer selling soup with weanlings. And you know that the mothers are going in the, in the, in the ring next door or they're going to, to, tomorrow. And like, it is happening, the soccer herders are falling, there's cows being slaughtered. And unless there is something done very soon, the soccer herders are going to disappear. But the problem is that there's a lot of farmers, in especially the western half of this country, who cannot do anything else besides sucking, depending on the land type, fragmented land and so on. And I know according to the target figures, the dairy farmers are 10 times better off. But if there's, if there's nothing you can do, only stay sucking, that's all you can do. And I think it's a shame that um, the soccer herd is falling. But like things are good this year, prices are good, but the, the costs have the whole thing ruined again. Like, you know what I mean? And I think the minister, if you if do no more, all the soccer, there's a lot of t thousands of soccer farmers, smaller soccer farmers, who are not in board beer, they, they have no reason to go to a factory. They're all, all they're selling is done in the mat. And now they're being kicked into board beer. But as I was saying to you, the sustainable survey can actually be done on the line. It can be done by your consultant or done by your planner. You don't have to join board, board beer to do the sustainability survey. And I think to the shame where things are bad enough, but putting fellas into board beer, more expense, more bureaucracy that fellas don't, don't, don't need. Thanks very much, and I'm very glad for to be here today. Thanks, Thanks. Yeah, thanks. So just first of all, in relation to the question around TAMs and on-farm investment. So as we know, there's been an increase in, in farm, farm, um, farmyards across the country now bear no resemblance to 30 years ago. Um, and I remember what it was like when I was a kid uh, growing up in a farm and the facilities that were on farms in general in the neighbourhood and how that has transformed over the last 20, 20, 30 years. It bears no resemblance whatsoever uh, in terms of the, the, the sheds, in terms of the, 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 the silage facilities, etc., in terms of the farmyards. Thankfully, it's in a totally different world to where it would have been then. Central to, cent, central to that has been, has been the farm supports over those years, uh, which have continued and which are fully continuing at the moment, um, and which will be continued and are, pro are programmed in there to the next cap as well, and which are really important in terms of supporting those who are farming, to continue to grow and to, to, to improve. Uh, but also uh, an important aspect of that as well is providing additional support to young farmers. And that's why the 60% the is there. And also for the first time ever, additional support as well um, to, to women farmers. So there's going to be 60% grant funding under TAMS for female farmers for the first time in recognition of the, of the fact that we need to change the culture on Irish farms where in the past it wasn't seen as, as desirable for the daughter to become a farmer as it was for the son. And that's something we need to change, and thankfully is changing. When I go to farm meetings across the country now, it's wonderful to see. When I go to UCD and the Ag Science courses, it's wonderful to see uh, how uh, there's as many uh, women as there is men now studying. And that's something we need to see, and certainly across the food industry, that's very much the case. We haven't seen it come through yet within, farm, within the farm gate as much, and that's something that we want to, as a, from a policy point of view, really, really push. And, and, and change too. Um, so there will be uh, increased funding for on-farm investment in, in this, in this uh, cap coming forward to continue that journey towards modernization, which thankfully we have come a massive, massive way. It's, it's a transformed world in that regard. In relation to um, the second point, um, Dermot, so uh, listen, in relation to Borbea and 
Obviously, I've made a change in relation to the new beef suckler scheme in that a requirement of, of, of taking part in the new scheme is that you apply and join Board B Origin Green and Quality Assurance. And that's part of a journey which is important for the sector as well. It's not a decision I took lightly. Um, as I say, I was increasing significantly the funding in that anchor scheme. So where BDGP paid 90 euro and 80 euro, this scheme will pay 150 euro and 120 euro on cows. That's a big, big increase. It's a significant backing of the sector. And in increasing the funding that's going in there, I felt it was a proportionate step to take to make it a requirement to actually join Board BIA. Not to make it more difficult or more challenging for any, for any farmer, okay, but to actually strengthen the position of our beef sector as a whole and to strengthen the value of our sector too. So when we're selling, so that when the animal leaves your, your farm or any other farm, and this is the case for 90% of the animals that leave all of our farms, they go abroad into international markets where we then, as a country, look to try and maximize the value of them and ensure that we get the best price. That's the work that's done at farm gate level in terms of the quality of the product, but then we have to market that. And key to that, and increasingly so, is in relation to what customers across the world are looking for. And we know now that it's not just, and we've seen this in recent years, how people are so attentive now to what they eat, unlike what it, much more so than it would have been in the past, but they're also increasingly, year by year by month by month, much more attentive as well to how what they eat is produced, not just that it's safe and nutritious, but also that it's done in a way that is environmentally sustainable and the, where that can be verified. And that Origin Green Quality Assurance branding, where we were about as ten, celebrated as 10 years in existence there last week, actually, I attended an event I attended, that is crucial in relation to us being able to sell Irish beef and get ahead of other countries which are competing with us for those markets. And therefore, the more farmers we have in the scheme, the stronger our sector is overall. I know the particular challenge that's there for beef sucklers in particular is, listen, if I'm selling it to the factory, I can see the QA bonus at the end of it. If I'm selling it in the ring as a suckler, I don't necessarily see that. If we can come up with ideas in terms of how that monetize, that, that's monetized and that's um, improved, yes, by all means, let's look at that. But there is no doubt, while it might not necessarily be directly visible, it strengthens the overall product and the overall sellability and value of our beef if we have um, Origin Green and Quality Assurance as part of it. And that's why in increasing that form to the beef scheme, I made that step of trying to strengthen our sector overall because it will be to the benefit of everyone, suckler farmers included. Okay, thanks. This gentleman here, and you can give her name, please. Uh, O'Brien. And, and sorry, and then we will finish off. Edmund, you've promised me that it's going to be very short. I will give you that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, Brefty O'Brien, uh, Agriland. Thank you, Liam. Thank Hi, you, Minister. Just on the sectoral emissions reductions targets, Minister, um, when can we expect a figure and will it be, are we expecting it to be close to 22 or at that 22%? Um, so uh, sorry, hold on a second, Minister. Edmund, please. Sorry, just one second. Hold a second for the mic. Thank you very much. And, um, and by the way, thanks, Brefney, for keeping you short. Yeah. yeah. Minister, just uh, on the Food Ombudsman's office, when is it going to be up and running? What powers, very important the powers they have. And I mean, I believe that it should be with somebody with a, a really strong forensic uh, analysis or forensic accounting analysis. It can't be just a retired civil servant, it has to be somebody that really can get into it. Yeah. Thanks. Um, thanks, first of all, to Brefney. So um, the, the government is working to try and have it completed by the end of this month, if possible. 
Um, so, and ideally that would like to be the case. Of course, the, the, the government commitment is 51% across, across all sectors, across the economy by, by 2030. There's different ranges at the moment, has been handed out to different sectors after significant <coughs> negotiation. Agriculture is by far the lowest of that range at 22 to 30. Um, my objective and in terms of the engagement I had in getting the ranges in the first instance and in terms of negotiating now around the sectoral target is to achieve a target which continues to back farmers across the country to be as productive as we are in relation to producing food because we need that food. We produce it really well, we produce it really efficiently from a, a carbon point of view and it's something that's going to be needed more than ever as the population across the world increases in the years ahead. So we should continue producing that food. But we should also, in every way we possibly can, seek to strive to minimise the emissions footprint of how that food's produced. And in terms of the engagement I'm having across the government with Cabinet colleagues, that's the threshold and that's the, the, the approach that I'm taking to try and strike that balance. And that's as much as I'll say in relation to where it's going to be. Obviously, it, it'll reach a conclusion, but that has been and will continue to be the approach they take in relation to the negotiations around that. Um, and listen to Edmund then in relation to the Food Ombudsman. So it's currently, the bill is published, has gone, gone into the doll. It's now with the Agriculture Committee. Um, I attended it last week for a very long session in relation to pre-legislative scrutiny, going through it line by line and head by head. Um, so once they've concluded that work, which I hope they'll have done by the, the, the doll recess, um, they're, they're having, or they've organized a number of meetings in relation to it. Then I'll bring it into the doll and Shannon in the autumn. And we've also commenced now the, the, the recruitment engagement in terms of getting the approvals for commencing and employing um, the key staff. And the key person, the key, key to the success of that will be recruiting somebody who's a, who, who can lead out on that. Because while there will be powers there, while there will be the capacity to fine, to take court enforcements, a key part of it is actually going to have to be proactivity as well. Engaging and making yourself felt across the food supply chain in a way that actually tries to ensure that there's respect between the primary producer and ultimately where it's sold. And trying to as well ensure that there's protocols in place and cause of respect in place in relation to how that engagement takes place. They say 90% of our food is sold abroad, so international markets, international prices determine what that price is. We can't influence that um, from here, but what we want to do is ensure that there's line of sight and transparency in relation to the price that has been got on international markets and how that's traced back to the farm gate and ensuring that every effort possible and every pressure possible is put on to ensure that farm families are getting a fair price and a fair deal as part of that. Minister. On behalf of all of us, we really appreciate your attendance, your clarification in relation to your commitment to beef here today, and I think that is something that is very much appreciated by all, and the manner in which you have uh, dealt with the Q&A on behalf of all of the stakeholders and indeed on behalf of all of the farming organisations. Minister, would you appreciate and thank you very much. Thank you very much, Liam. You can catch up on all other shows and interviews from the Beef Edge podcast on the Chagas website at chagas.ie or you can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss a show. For all other updates from our Beef programme, keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next time, I'm Catherine Egan and thanks for listening.